Happy weekend, and with it being the weekend, grab a bunch of friends and head on over to Walters. Now with a fully covered patio that keeps you cool as it nears 90 degrees, Walters is a great spot to catch the Nats, Caps, and Wizards this weekend. On Sunday, Walters is the perfect place to hang with friends before, during, or after the Nats O series finale. Plenty of TVs to watch the Wizards and Mystics in the afternoon, or the Caps and DC United at night. Check out their beer wall filled with options, including many local drafts. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And a swing and a miss by Mullins down on a breaking ball. Struck him out with the curve. And that's how this game gets started for Steven Strasburg. Here's the set of the pitch. Swing and a line drive. Base hit right field. That's going to go to the bullpen fence. And Bell around third will score. Schwarber on his way to second will pull it with a double. Back-to-back doubles to right for Bell and Schwarber. Kyle's second two-base hit of the game in his 19th run batted in. The Nationals are on the board here at the bottom of the fifth. It's Washington one and Baltimore nothing. And now hand ready. He kicks, he delivers. Swing a ground ball toward the hole. Turner slides to get it. Hops to his feet. Long throw. One hop. In time for the out of the ball. Game is over. A curly W's in the books on a tremendous play by Trey Turner. Sliding to his right out of the outfield. Grass getting up in a long one hop throw. Dug out by Josh Bell at first. And the Nationals on the field to celebrate a victory. Taking game one of the Battle of the Beltways with the Orioles. Final score, the Washington Nationals four, the Baltimore Orioles two. And welcome to Nats Chat for Saturday, May 22nd, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. The Nationals win. They begin their nine-game homestand. They begin their three-game series against the Orioles at Nationals Park with a good-looking 4-2 win over the O's on Friday night. Just the sixth win in 17 games for the Nats, but the kind of game that does make you feel good about things. Steven Strasburg was back from the 10-day injured list, five at a third scoreless innings. The Nats numbers two through six batters combined for 10 hits, two walks, four RBI. Nats overcome another shaky outing from Brad Hand, even overcome a bat that got caught in the netting on the third base side of the stands. And as far as we know, the bat is still there. That was something else. Hopefully it didn't fall on anybody. But hello, Mark. That was a nice night at the ballpark. Al, that was a great night at the ballpark. I was there, of course, and I have to say that that felt as close to a normal Friday night on South Capitol Street as we've seen in a long time. That's both because the crowd was expanded. It was 14,369. And to be honest, 
when you spread 14,000 fans out over the entire stadium, so they're not just like in the lower deck or, you know, mostly behind the plate, you spread it out over the whole stadium. If you closed your eyes and didn't know any better, I would have thought it was twice as many fans. It just legitimately sounded like a normal, enthusiastic crowd. So you start with that. You put Steven Strasburg on the mound, putting up a bunch of zeros. And I know he's not all the way back yet. There were some issues and we can talk about it. But the fact that he was out there and healthy and posting zeros and walking off the mound to a standing ovation was great. They strung together some big hits with two outs. The weather was beautiful. That just felt like a nice, normal night at the ballpark. And that is what everybody needed. The Nationals, the fans, everybody involved. That was just a really enjoyable night at the ballpark. Yep, no doubt. And, you know, the end of the pandemic, it's not like turning on a light switch. It's not like there's one specific moment where, like, everything goes back to normal. It's obviously a gradual thing. But it does feel like, especially in our area, the last week to 10 days, this really has been a turning point. Like, you've had the lifting of some mask mandates and things like that. You have, of course, what was declared in D.C., where come June, we're going to have June 11th, I think the date is right. We're going to have full capacity allowed for sporting events. And it just feels like, okay, now things are getting back to normal. And it certainly felt that way Friday night at Nationals Park. So Strasburg, you know, I I think we could actually get into the offense first. But because it was Strasburg on the mound, that's kind of the lead from this game. Makes his return from the 10-day injured list. And, you know, I think all things considered does a nice job. I mean, like you said, there are some nits to pick. But ultimately, five and a third scoreless innings, four strikeouts, gives up just one hit, which is a single. The nit to pick would be he really didn't throw many strikes. He issued four walks. He threw just 39 of his 72 pitches for strikes. So ultimately, 39 strikes versus 33 balls. And now you have to kind of wait and see and say, okay, how does he feel tomorrow? Does he make his next start and a start after that? So, you know, we're just beginning here in terms of the Strasburg comeback from the injury. But this certainly felt like a nice step one. And facing an Orioles lineup that isn't very good, although it does have a white-hot hitter in Trey Mancini, to see Strasburg do as he did, I think if you're a Nats fan, you love what you saw on Friday night. I think you use the word first step. That's what this was. And Strasburg admitted it himself. He knows he's not a finished product yet, that this is just one step in that process. We have to remember he made one rehab start for Rochester where he went 75 pitches in four and a third innings. That's totally different than facing a big league team in a real game where the stress is higher and the crowd is there and everything else. And so what you saw, what stood out to me was by the fifth inning, he was out of gas and he knew it. He had been throwing 93, 94 earlier on. All of a sudden it's 90, 91. His mechanics were off. He's kind of fallen off the mound. There are pitches going way out of the zone. I was surprised. At the moment, I thought it was a mistake to send him back out for the sixth. He had only thrown 62 pitches, but he had thrown five complete innings. And it felt like this is a good point to just let him go say, nice job, let's turn over to the bullpen. And he only faced two batters in the sixth. The second of them was a walk. They had to bring in Kyle Finnegan to face that red-hot Mancini. And that proved to be a big moment in the game that we'll get to here. But Steven afterwards made the point, and I thought this was important. He felt like that extra little up and down, sitting between innings, coming back out, and just starting the sixth inning was an important step for him in this process to build his stamina back up. He feels healthy, but it is going to take time to build his arm and his body back up. And so... If you view this as like the first step or as just like the next in a series of rehab starts before he's really 100%, I think it's a huge positive for him. There is still room for improvement, and he knows that, but this was an important first step for him. Yeah, no question about that. And, you know, with Strasburg, like we just said, 
it's going to be about how he responds. It's going to be whether he makes his next start and his start after that. You know, it's time for him to start making starts and eating up innings and living up to the pitcher we know he can be. It was interesting with the outing. You know, I mentioned the four walks. The four walks come over the final nine batters he faces. So, you know, there was an element of fatigue and kind of fading as the start went on. But especially, you know, the next to last start he made, the start he made prior to going on the I.L., he got roughed up in that start. So, and you saw nothing like that in this game. Like it felt like the Strasburg we've come to know, and hopefully he keeps it going here. And, you know, him coming back out there for that sixth inning, I hear what you're saying. I think, though, if you're Davey, too, Nats, they haven't had many off days here lately. I know they got one coming up, but, you know, I think you're trying to get a little bit of mileage out of your starters here and not make it so that in game one of this three game series, you got to burn up your bullpen. Now, you ended up having to use a decent amount of your pen in the game, but I think bringing him out was more than reasonable, and they got him out of there upon giving up that walk. Hey everyone, Al Galdi here to tell you about FanDuel. So we've all had that dream, right? Tie game, bottom of the ninth, bases loaded. Well, on FanDuel Sportsbook, you get more than one shot to swing for the fences because FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free. That's right, new users get up to $1,000 back in site credit if your first bet doesn't win, and it only gets better from there. Once you have an account, you'll have access to same-game parlay insurance all season long. That's up to $25 back in site credit each day if your same-game parlay bet falls one leg short. This way, you can combine multiple baseball bets for an even bigger win. Big game on Saturday afternoon, White Sox at the Yankees at 105. Yes, Garrett Cole is pitching for New York, but given the White Sox's bats, you might want to consider taking the over. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. They've got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same game parlay and always on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code chat to get in on the action. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code chat. 21 plus and present Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager, only for risk-free bet. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fandle.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia. Tennessee, 1-800-889-9789, or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. 
The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Here's the set, the 2-2. Swing a line drive right field toward the corner over Soto's head and one hop off the wall. Soto gloves the carom. Hayes to third is going to stop as the throw in gets by the cutoff man. Now he's going to try to score. Bell throws home the tag by Gomes. He is out at the plate. Huge play there for the Nationals as Hayes goes tumbling through the plate and gets tagged out by Gomes. Soto overshot the cutoff man, so after stopping at third, Hayes then tried to score. Josh Bell ended up with the throw and fed Gomes for the out at the plate, 9-3-2, and that's the second out of the inning and a huge out for the Nationals. So you mentioned that uh, top of the sixth inning. This is so interesting to me. So first of all, Josh Bell has one of his better offensive games of the season, three for five with a double, two singles, and an RBI. But how about that defensive play that he made for the second out in the top of the sixth inning? Trey Mancini, a one-out double to right field, fielded by Juan Soto. Soto makes a bad throw back into the infield, overthrows the relay man. Bell then goes like full Derek Jeter. I don't know where this came from, but he is able to get to the ball. And then on the run, makes this terrific running one-hop throw against his body to Jan Gomes, who makes a nice diving tag to get Austin Hayes out. We've noted this, how the Nationals so far this season have been actually a very good defensive team. It's been probably the single most pleasant, surprising thing about the Nats this year. If you look at the latest data on fan graphs going into games on Friday, Nats are number one in the majors in defensive runs saved. That play by Josh Bell, of all people, who's known as a minus defender at first base. What a moment. That, to me, in a lot of ways, was the highlight of the night on Friday night. I agree with you 100%, and I'm glad you mentioned Derek Jeter because my thought was that was the poor man's Derek Jeter play. (laughs) Not quite as smooth as Jeet's in the uh, 2001 ALDS. The throw misses a cutoff, man. Shot into the plate. Out of the plate. Derek Jeter with one of the most unbelievable plays you will ever see by a shortstop. But they got the job done. And here's the thing. They do work on that stuff, and that is Bell's responsibility. That's the first baseman's responsibility. As he was saying, his first thing he does is he's got to watch the batter to make sure he touches first base, so his eye is on that. Once he rounds his first, now he it's his job to back up the relay. And so he was exactly where he was supposed to be to then retrieve the ball. And the throw, I thought this was interesting too. Like you said, he bounced it, but I think it was intentional. They've been telling him he's had issues with throws to the plate in his career. They've told him, keep it low and give the catcher the best opportunity to make the play. And that's exactly what he did. And let's give Gomes credit for the catch and the tag. How many previous Nationals catchers, I'm not going to name any names here, but how many previous Nationals catchers would not have made that play? We have seen it over and over again over the years where that has been a real problem. So Gomes finished the deal 
to make the tag. But it was a great moment. And the other thing that Bell said that I thought was hilarious. So because he's his back is sort of to the runner, he didn't even know that Austin Hayes was trying to score until the crowd told him that he was. He heard the crowd kind of go, oh, and he realized, oh, he must be going. So that's when he turned and threw to the plate. So it, it just this like weird combination of events that led to that play. Again, it wasn't the prettiest looking thing, but they got the job done. And for Josh Bell, given his history in the field, you could tell that that meant a lot to him. Tim Bogar, the infield coach, was really praising him in the dugout afterwards. That was, yeah, the single most significant highlight of the night in this game to me. That was a great moment. Yeah, you won't name the catcher. I won't either. I'll just say that his name rhymes with Schmilson Schmamos. <laughs> uh, but, but that was that was a really nice job by Gomes. And I'm glad you brought up Bell apparently intentionally making the one-hop throw because it did look like that. Like he like spiked the ball when he threw the ball, but it worked out beautifully. And again, throwing against his body, like, you know, in, in football, they say that's one of the tougher throws a quarterback ever has to make. You're going one way, you throw the other way. That's what Bell was doing there. And he's making the throw on the run. And he's getting a ball that wasn't meant for him to be gotten to. That was a a bad throw by Soto. Like, we got to note that. Soto made a boo-boo there. And Bell made up for it and then makes the great play. Like, you really can't say enough about that play by Josh Bell. And then there was what he did as a batter. And we've been waiting on this. And we're still going to wait. We're not declaring victory with Josh Bell. But three for five with a double, two singles, and an RBI. Did strike out twice, but has a two-out first pitch double in the Nats two-run fifth. A two-out single and the Nats one run six after the run was scored, and a two-out first pitch RBI single in the bottom of the eighth inning. So with those first pitch hits, is that intentional? Just maybe they're telling Bell swing early in counts? Across the board, they have been encouraging guys to swing at more strikes early in the count. Don't get yourself uh, behind in the count. Don't put yourself in a bad spot. If you see a fastball over the plate, go for it. They like that. They're encouraging that. So I think it's not just with Josh, but with a lot of their hitters. The other part of this all, it, the two out hits, that was four straight two out hits in that fifth inning. And then they added a couple more in the sixth and the eighth when they scored again. They all came with two outs. That is just a, a huge development for them. And what you have to do to score runs, to sustain rallies, you have to be able to come through in those spots. So, I mean, that was an emotional lift for all of them. And Josh Bell, look, I, I know we're going to say we're not proclaiming him all the way back or anything, but at the end of the night, his batting average is up to 195. If he can get it over 200, I think we're in business here. And slowly but surely, he and Schwarber over the last, I'd say, week to 10 days are showing some signs of coming out of this. Yeah, and with Schwarber back in there as a cleanup batter, that certainly seems like his spot right now in the uh, ever-changing Davey Martinez lineup. Schwarber with a good night on Friday night, two for five with two doubles and an RBI. Now, he did strike out twice, did leave five men on base, had a bad at-bat striking out on five pitches with runners on first and second, two outs, and would ended up being just a one-run six inning for the Nats. That does continue to be a thing for the Nats. They are the kings of having innings that look like they're going to be three, four, five-run innings, and they only end up being one- or two-run innings. But, like I said, he did have the two doubles. First pitch leadoff double in the bottom of the fourth. Two-out first pitch RBI double in the Nats. Two-run fifth. And I think my favorite moment of the night when it came to Schwarber was him nearly being thrown out for the third out in that Nationals two-run fifth due to overrunning third base on the Starling Castro. Two-out swinging butt infield single. But Schwarber, in diving back to third, knocks the ball out of the glove of the Orioles shortstop, Freddie Galvis. So I guess if you're going to be out, the thing to do to avoid being out is just like a tank. Just, you know, crash into the fielder's glove and knock the ball out. By force, you make yourself safe at third base. I thought that was 
fun. And it certainly seemed like something only that Kyle Schwarber could do, but he did it and he ended up being safe at third. I think he also got a forearm to the head in the process. He might have. <laughs> Again, it wasn't the prettiest game ever, but they had some moments and they, they came out on top because of it. But yeah, from up top in the press box, I saw that whole play develop. And as he rounds 30, thinking, oh, look out, he's going to pick you from behind. Fortunately, it didn't cost him. But hey, they're getting the job done. And it's nice to see the offense delivering from the spots. Now, like you said, this was a night where they could have scored like 10 runs. They had tons of opportunities. Andrew Stevenson batting ninth. Struck out in the second with two on, struck out in the fourth with the bases loaded. Their bases loaded struggles are just unfathomable at this point. Six for 41 as a team. But this is where I was thinking the pitcher hitting eighth, and I know you've been railing this for a while. Tonight, I really felt that it was hurting them, that there was no benefit to it at all. Because in one of the innings, you end up with Strasburg up with runners on first and third and one out, and he does, and I hate this play just in general, the sack bunt just to move the runner up to second, not even a squeeze bunt, just the sack bunt to move the runner up to second. And so now you're putting it all on Stevenson with two outs and runners on second and third, whereas if he's hitting eighth, a fly ball scores the run, or maybe a ground ball scores the run. So I didn't like that. And then they were able to intentionally walk Gomes in the fourth to bring Strasburg up with two outs. Again, a position player there, it's probably a different story, and Gomes gets to, to swing away. Now, Strasburg drew the walk, so it wasn't his fault in the end, but then Stevenson strikes out with the bases loaded. I just, I don't see what the benefit to hitting eighth is. I, I've yet to see a game where I said, okay, well, that makes sense. That paid off. It's not working, and I think it's, it's hurting them more than it's helping them right now. Even if you find moments in games where you say, okay, it worked out, that doesn't, to me, make it the right call. Like, just because a decision works out doesn't make it the right decision. I think Davey's been in the wrong throughout the year in doing this. I think that, especially with this lineup not being very productive, it's been especially harmful. And I just don't get it at this point. I mean, this thing about a second leadoff, man, it's, it's a very bizarre strategy. There's a reason most teams don't do this. Like, these days, everyone in baseball is smart. So if most teams aren't doing something... That's probably an indication of there's a reason for that. Like, especially like if smart teams like the Dodgers aren't doing stuff like this, you have to say to yourself, okay, if they're not doing this, why are we doing this? And it doesn't seem to work out. And anecdotally speaking, there have been a bunch of these spots here lately. You know, you're seeing now Jan Gomes get the Barry Bonds treatment on the regular where Jan Gomes is getting intentionally walked all the time. And I know he's having a decent season offensively, but it's because the pitcher's batting behind him. And it's like they're setting the Nats up for failure in these innings in which, like I said, you should be scoring multiple runs as opposed to just the one run there. Here's the other thing, too, about sacrifice bunts. Baseball Prospectus has had these great charts for years about run expectancy. Sacrifice bunting almost always lowers your run expectancy in an inning. It, it almost never raises it. So the idea, like it may feel like, OK, you sack bunt, you advance the runner. That increases the likelihood of you scoring. Actually, no, you're better off just letting guys hit and see what happens. Now, with a pitcher, I know it's different because the likelihood of him getting a hit is lessened, but always something to keep in mind uh, with the sacrifice bump. So uh, Bell good, Schwarber good, Juan Soto had a nice night at the plate, two for four with two singles, a walk and an RBI. Starling Castro had a single and a walk. And, you know, the single was an excuse me, swinging bun infield single. But I did want to note this with Castro. The walk came despite him having been down at 1.02. That infield single came despite him having been down in the count at 1.02. So two good pieces of hitting for Castro went down. Josh Harrison had two singles and an RBI. And the Nats also got production off the bench. Ryan Zimmerman and Yadiel Hernandez, each with a pinch single in the game. It was Zimmerman who provided the pinch leadoff first pitch single in that one-run eighth inning. It was Hernandez who provided a pinch leadoff single 
in the Nationals' one-run sixth inning. You know, the Nats, with those two guys, they clearly have two guys who know how to hit. And, uh, you know, certainly not surprising to see them do well off the bench on Friday night, but definitely notable. Those were two good key hits in the game for the Nats. There is something growing here with this uh, bench players, the pinch hit options, and they know it. And I noticed today I, I got to go down close to the field right at the end of batting practice for the first time in forever. I got to actually interview Ryan Zimmerman. I'm going to write a story on Monday. But I noticed a bunch of their, uh, while they're taking BP, they're wearing T-shirts that on the front it says SOB. Now, it's not what you think that means. It's actually studs off the bench. Yeah. This is what they've now branded themselves. Remember the Goon Squad in 2012, yeah. Chad Tracy and company? It appears that the 2021 reserves are calling themselves the SOBs, the studs off the bench. And I think it's appropriate because especially Zimmerman and Hernandez are showing that they can be quite productive in those spots. It's going to help them win some games down the road. I mean, Ryan Zimmerman's coming in cold in the eighth inning and just swings at the first pitch and lines a single left like it's no big deal. <laughs> it's remarkable what he's doing. Hernandez, we've always known, has the ability to hit. Uh, he had the big home run in Arizona. So uh, there is something growing there with this bench. And let's see if it pays off in the end or if it turns into something. But it appears that they have come up with a nickname for themselves. And I did want to note this. Trey Turner did not have a good night at the plate, 0 for 5 with a strikeout. But what a play he made to end the game. And this mattered with the struggles of Brad Hand. We're going to get to those coming up momentarily. But Trey Turner in shallow left field, a terrific backhanded and sliding stab of a Michael Franco grounder. And then from the outfield grass, delivering a one-hop throw to Josh Bell at first base for that third out in the top of the ninth. You know, classic case of a guy, okay, struggling as a hitter, but helping to make up for it with a great play in the field. We noted the Nats come into games on Friday, number one in the majors in defensive runs saved. You had Josh Bell channeling his inner Jeter earlier in the game, and then Trey Turner with an awesome play to end the game. He's got a much better arm than I think we realize. We don't give enough credit for the arm that he has. That was a long throw, and it was on point, and he had no margin for error. He had to be quick with it, and he had to put it right on the money, and he did. He is rating as one of the better defensive shortstops in baseball after a down year last year, and he's the first to admit that it was a down year. And I don't want to say it's quietly because I think the rest of baseball is taking notice. But what Trey Turner is doing right now, hitting for power, stealing bases, hitting for average, playing great defense, he is one of the most complete players, certainly one of the most complete shortstops in baseball. And there are a lot of really good shortstops in baseball right now. He is truly making a name for himself as a superstar at that position and, uh, you know, who knows what that's going to do to his bank account down the road here. But for now, the Nats are thrilled to have him atop their lineup. Yeah, I mean, he's playing like a superstar, which, you know, for a while, like Trey Turner was good. But, you know, he had that great first season with the Nats. And then the offensive numbers kind of came down. And so you were kind of like, OK, Trey Turner is a nice piece. You know, he's a solid player. But no one was talking about Trey Turner as a superstar. And the ascension of his offense over the last two years now, in conjunction with his defense, getting back on track this season, he's played like one of the great players in the game. Like, he's top 10 in war this season. If you look at baseball reference going to games on Friday, he's done a really nice job uh, on the year so far. Are you interested in buying or selling your home? Support for Nats Chat comes from Rachel Levy of Compass Real Estate. By focusing on the personal parts of the real estate process and using technology to simplify the rest, Rachel seamlessly guides her clients through their experience. Rachel uses her deep local knowledge and exceptional customer service to advocate for her clients all across D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. 
To learn more, follow her on Instagram at Real Estate Rachel. Hey, Nat Chat listeners, Tim Shover's here to tell you about Sunday Scaries CBD gummies. If you've been listening to this podcast and you know for well over a month, I've been telling you every single day about this. And let me tell you, it has helped me with sleep so much. Due to this podcast schedule, my sleep hours are a little unusual to say the least, but Sunday Scaries has saved the day for me in 2021. If you want some yourself, go to the website, sundayscaries.com. They got plenty of options for you. Check out their products. They have gummies, oil, candy, bath bombs, so much more. Check it out. And Nat Chat Podcast has you covered as well for your first order. When you go to check out, type in the promo code NATSCHAT. Again, the promo code NATSCHAT to save 25% off your first order. So again, go to sundayscaries.com, check it out, look what you want. When you go to check out, type in the promo code NATSCHAT to save 25% off your first order, and it'll be on your way, and you'll sleep better than you have in years. All right, so that brings us to the Nationals' bullpen on Friday night. Corresponding roster move, by the way, to the Nats activating Steven Strasburg was optioning Kyle McGowan to AAA Rochester. This does end up being another game in which the Nats bullpen gives up at least a run. This has kind of become a trend here lately. The Nats bullpen's been good for a run or two, at least game in, game out. Four Nats relievers combined to allow two runs in three and two-thirds innings. Now, it was one guy who was the issue. Uh, Kyle Finnegan got the final two outs in the top of the six, although he gave up a double to Trey Mancini. Wander Suero, though, a perfect top of the seventh. That included a five-pitch strikeout of Freddie Galvis. Daniel Hudson continues his great 2021 season. Perfect top of the eighth and includes a five-pitch strikeout of pinch hitter DJ Stewart. And then it was hand time in the top of the ninth inning. And sadly, Brad Hand struggles for a fifth time in six appearances. Gives up two runs in the top of the ninth. One-out double by Trey Mancini on a 1-2 pitch. And then a two-out, two-run homer by Freddie Galvis. Now look, Mancini's on fire right now. Galvis has actually been a pretty good hitter for the Orioles so far this season, but still, that's not supposed to happen. The outing leaves Brad Hand as having given up now nine runs, seven earned in five and a third innings over his last six games. It's one thing to see Hand have a couple of bad outings in a row. At this point though, Mark, I think we have to say he's slumping here. This is five bad outings over his last six appearances. Yeah, this is troubling. And the shame is he had the one good one in there that you thought, okay, he's back. Everything's fine. And then the game in Chicago was white knuckling it to get out of that one. This one became the same thing again, required the great play by Trey Turner to end it. If he doesn't make that play and now the tying run is coming to the plate. Oh man, what are we talking about? But I'm not entirely sure what it is that's going on. The velocity is there. So that hasn't been it. The slider has been, you know, fairly sharp. His command has just been off. At times, he's missing badly. But more than anything, I think he's just missing over the plate and up in the zone. And he can't afford to do that. And I don't think it's a case of him being hurt. I don't think there's really a mechanics thing. I'm not entirely sure. I think they're all still trying to figure out what exactly is going on. But he is not the pitcher that he was for the first 10 outings, which, you know, there was no sign that he was about to do this. Like, he looked really good his first 10 times out there, and it's ever since then that it hasn't looked right. And I'm not sure what the answer is. I don't think they're all of a sudden going to remove him from the, the closer's role, at least not until he blows a few more games. But Daniel Hudson has looked fantastic, and there's certainly an argument to be made that Hudson should be pitching in the highest leverage spots, whether that's the 8th, the ninth, whatever it is right now, over Brad Hand. 
I think what's funny is Bob Carpenter on the Mass and Telecast said going to break, we'll see how Davey plays this because the Nats were up 4 nothing, and you don't always bring in your quote-unquote closer uh, in a spot like that. I think the fact that the Nats were up 4 nothing was a reason to bring in hand because you can't trust them right now. So at least you did have a little bit of cushion. I think if the Nats had been up, say, 2-1 or 3-2, I'm not sure Davey goes to hand in that spot. I think maybe you do stick with Daniel Hudson just because, like you said, Hudson has been lights out and Brad Hand has been struggling. And, you know, at this moment in time, I don't know how you trust Brad Hand. And it's really unfortunate that we say that because, like you said, Hand got off to a great start this year. He was so good last season. He's been one of the more consistent relievers in baseball for a while. So I do think there's a leash of some significant length that Brad Hand warrants getting But like I said, it's not one or two bad outings now. This is five bad outings in six appearances. Like, we're almost at a point where you say Brad Hand's having a bad season at this point. His ERA has ballooned over the last few weeks. And unless he's injured, I don't know how you just can... Like, if the Nats are up 1-0 in Game 2 of this series, and you're going into the ninth inning, who are you going with at this point? Hudson or Hand? Like, how do you not go with Hudson right now with the way he's pitching? I don't disagree with you, but I don't think that's where they're going to go with this. I think Davey sticks with his guys, and he believes that not using his designated closer in those spots is only going to make matters worse because now you're losing him from a confidence standpoint. So I get what you were saying, and I think there was an interesting decision to be made there, but I think what it actually was, so hands started warming as the Nats are batting in the bottom of the eighth. They score, they get a rally going, and now our buddy Paolo Espino starts warming up alongside him. And the thought was, oh, well, if they expand the lead may, and it's no longer a save situation, maybe it'll be Espino. So up four, I thought we would see Paolo perhaps to close it out. But the fact that he did let hand pitch and what proved not to be a save situation because it's four runs, I thought that was telling for a different reason than you're saying. I think it was Davey saying, okay, we have some extra cushion so I, we can afford for him to struggle a little bit. And let's try to give him a chance just to get out of the inning without giving up four runs. That is almost a little bit more disturbing to me because Davey acknowledging that I don't know, I'm not going to bench him. He's my closer. I'm going to use him no matter what. But i rather use him with a four-run lead now, knowing, anticipating that it might not be a real clean ninth. And this way, he actually would have the ability to give up a two-run homer and still stay in there and work his way out of it. Yeah, no, and that was my point. I, I think this is almost like pseudo mop-up duty for Hand because you had that cushion because you weren't up by just the one run that you felt more comfortable using him, which is it's not good that you're in that spot right now with him. But how do you not feel that way with the way that he's been pitching? So, you know, Davey, I know he's not going to come out and say this stuff, and he shouldn't, but internally he's got to be saying to himself, what's happening with Hand? And if this isn't health-related, how do you go back to Brad Hand the next time that there's a close game, a high-leverage spot, And, you know, you're trying to seal a deal with a win. So going to be interesting to see how Davey plays that. Hudson continues to be dominant, though. I mean, talk about things you don't see coming. Brad Hand has struggled lately. And Daniel Hudson, who was so bad last year, so bad in spring training this year. I mean, remember, he gave up all those home runs last season, all those home runs in spring training. And he's been like the exact opposite of that so far this season. Goes to show you, we know nothing when it comes to these relievers, man. It is such a crapshoot with all of these guys. That's why, like, for all the stuff about all the years the Nats have had bad bullpens, there is part of me that's very sympathetic to Mike Rizzo. And just, like, we know nothing, and people in the game, I think, don't know much more when it comes to these relievers. It's like you just close your eyes, you cross your fingers, and you hope for the best with these people. It's the most volatile position in baseball, maybe the most volatile position in sports. I mean, is there another one that equates to that where you just don't know year to year what you're going to get? And last year's performance doesn't necessarily 
correlate to what you're going to see the next year. But I'm glad you said that because sometimes you can almost say like Rizzo can't catch a break. There are years that they go into it without addressing the bullpen in the offseason. And then you get Blake trying and blowing it early on as the closer. And you're saying, what are you doing now? You got to go get a closer at the trade deadline. And he goes and does it. And then you have the years where he goes and actually spends money and picks up a Sean Kelly on a three-year deal and a Will Harris on a three-year deal. Now Brad Hand for $10.5 million. And we applaud him for doing that. And then those pitchers don't live up to it. And you're saying, what are you doing? Why are you giving those kind of contracts to veteran relievers? It's almost a no-win situation. And I do think it's why Rizzo's philosophy sometimes is don't spend the money in the winter based on what he did last year. Try to get through the first three months of the season. And then come July, go find a guy who's actually having a good year and trade for him. And he's done that a few times and done it quite successfully. It's it's a little bit of a scary way to go about this. And you got to have a, a good team and everything else where you can maybe afford to blow a few games from your bullpen. But it might ultimately be the safest way to go to ensure that you have good relievers at the end of a season. Yeah, it's the safest way, certainly financially. The risk, though, is you have to give up prospects. And so, you know, if you have to give up a Jesus Lazardo, it hurts you. But converse, I mean, the Nats, though, overall, like in trading for these relievers, they haven't given up that much over the years. Like, it's not like, you know, giving up Nick Pavetta for Jonathan Papelbon has come back to doom the Nats. It's not like giving up Felipe Vasquez for Mark Belanson has doomed the Nats. But yeah, but something like the Lazardo thing looms large, right? You hate for that to happen. And obviously, uh, it could happen with other people as time goes on as well. But yeah, uh, it's it's weird. But bullpens are strange. And for all we know, Paolo Espino will be the Nationals ace reliever by the end of the season. We'll see how that ends up going. Nats Chat podcast t-shirts, they are selling well. If you haven't gotten yours yet, do yourself a favor and get yourself one. Get someone for someone you know who's a listener of the podcast, a big Nationals fan. Good looking shirts. We love the logo for this podcast. The website to get your Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt is natschatpodcast.square.site. Also, continue to send in your uh, emails of voice memos, your takes, your thoughts on, your questions regarding the Nationals. Even Tales of Little League are welcome. Uh, just record your voice memo in your smartphone and you can email at the uh, email address natschatpodcast.com at gmail.com. You can also email the mastermind of this podcast, Tim Shovers, regarding uh, becoming an advertiser on the Nats Chat Podcast. And keep tweeting us too. We get lots of tweets. And what's great about Twitter is we get a lot of feedback during games. So it's almost like we can see in real time what you guys are thinking, how you're feeling about uh, the various things going on in the game. Nats underscore chat at Nats underscore chat is the official Twitter handle. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. And we are going to leave you with a very special radio highlight because the Fred Nats are in the win column finally yes. in the 2021 season. The low A affiliate of the Washington Nationals had been 0-15. Make that 1-15, a 2-1 win over Salem on Friday night. Mark, you said it was a feel-good night at Nationals Park, and it very much was. It was a feel-good night organizationally for the Nationals with the Fred Nats getting a win. Congratulations. That was hard-earned. It's easy to sometimes laugh at the stuff and make fun of it, but these are human beings and real people who were struggling. And they were 0-15 with a run differential of minus 115. They have not even been in that many competitive games. So they got seven scoreless from their starter tonight. They take a 2-0 lead into the ninth. The reliever gives up a run, and the tying runs on second. He gets out of it. Congrats to the Fred Nats. They can breathe a sigh of relief and maybe go out and just have some fun now and play ball. So good for them.
Now, to be clear, the bad state of the Nats farm system isn't about how the minor league teams do. I mean, to me, as a fan of a team, you really shouldn't care how your minor league affiliates do in terms of wins and losses. But like you said, these are human beings. You don't want to see them suffer. And 0-15 is suffering, man. So good to see the Fred Nats get a win. We will leave you with the voice of the Fred Nats, Eric Bramer, calling the Fredericksburg Nationals first victory of the season. We thank everyone for listening. Thank you for your continued support of the podcast. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. With two outs in the ninth inning, the 0-2 pitch from Knowles to Arrow. The delivery. Swing and a miss, strike three. And the Fredericksburg Nationals have their first win in team history. It didn't come easy. 0-15 to start their inaugural season. And back-to-back doubles from the Red Sox with two outs in the ninth. But Lucas Knowles shuts the door and your Fredericksburg Nationals have their first victory. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.